we're creatives and we're makers. We're all, we are all are. We, that is, I believe that in every part of me, that we all have that ability. And people say, oh, I'm not artistic. Oh, I'm not a creative type. Yes, you are. You just forgot. We are all born as creative hackers. And the question is, how does the, the world of work enable that to continue? Hi, I'm Paul Miller and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. Your work isn't boring and your workplace doesn't need to feel like a scene out of George Orwell's 1984. Today we explore a fascinating new approach to employment that places individuality at the centre a world where you can bring yourself, warts and all, to work every day. For me, this was a really inspiring conversation with Jesse Hunt, digital learning leader at Adobe, and Ephraim Julius Freed, internal communication manager at Riot Games in LA. Together, Jesse and Ephraim delve right into the essence of individuality through what we talked about as the seasons of your working life. The new digital workplace is allowing new degrees of flexibility at all levels and it's enabling us to not just park our true selves at the door when we come to work but to bring ourselves at our best to work each day. So the theme today is bring yourself to work how and why individuality is set to thrive in the workplace and I'm delighted to have on the show today, Jesse Hunt, who's been leading the individuality charge and, charge and other things at Adobe in San Jose, and is part of their whole digital experience and digital workplace team there. And also Ephraim Freed, who's in charge of Things Digital Workplace over at Riot Games in Santa Monica. And Riot Games is well known for the, the game League of Legends. So it's great to have you Jesse and Ephraim on the show today. Great. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks so much, Paul. And I should say, I it would be a, a little inaccurate to say I'm in charge of all things digital workplace. I work with a, <laughs> right. an amazing group of super smart people who are all focused on it, and I'm contributing to it. I don't want to overstate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, no. Keep the expectations low and you can only surpass them. <laughs> that's my that's, motto. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good thing. So, I mean, the kind of background to this is that, Jesse, you and I had a, a, a really intriguing conversation in Foster City not that long ago when we were talking about, well, really this concept that this digital way of working enabled a level of individuality to brought in brought into work and that really made me think about this subject we'll get into that but i'd just really like to start off by asking each of you and maybe start with you jesse and i like to start every show by asking my guests what you expected when you came into the world of work what, what did you think work was going to be like that's such a good question and it's definitely evolved over the years, um, but when I when I first entered the workforce as a brand new college grad, I entered the aviation industry and I thought, you know, I'm going to go to work for a couple of years and go have fun and learn as much as I can, and then I'm going to get a real job. Well, <laughs> 
I ended up loving it and being passionate about the industry and the company and stayed there for about a decade. But, you know, my expectations were it was going to be a lot of learning and that was it. And I wasn't really going to own anything or drive anything for many years. And that, you know, that quickly changed. I think if you have ambition and you have drive, you know, innately within you, then your career changes and grows in many different directions right in front of you. And that's sort of what happened for me very quickly. And that, that idea of just being able to sort of play and, and treat it kind of like I was still in college was very quickly (laughs) hit me. Reality hit me in the face there, but um, I had a great experience there. I just was so surprised that the real workforce is, is not a place to, you know, you can't be lackadaisical in it. You know, you really have to let it shape your career is shaped really by what's already in you and that ambition. Sure. And it's, it's, it's fascinating because I, 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 I'm sort of trying to get my head around the fact that you do the fascinating work that you do at Adobe now with the fact that you, you started in quite a completely different way because you were, were, you were a flight attendant and then you sort of somehow digitally rethought that work. Yeah, so I I joined the aviation industry actually as, you know, my very first job out of college was to be a coordinator for the training department for pilots and flight attendants. And I had a very strong digital background. I had always been around technology and I understood the tools and was very comfortable with it. So they had kind of an antiquated training program that involved a lot of paper and a lot of in the classroom. And it's not very feasible when your entire workforce is all over the world. So I helped them transform a lot of that into a digital computer-based training program. And then by doing, you know, I spent several years doing that and transforming it. When I decided to go to college, is when I actually went a little bit backwards to go get my master's degree after several years of working on the ground is what they say. Um, I decided to go get my master's and, and actually leave the city that I was based in. And so I moved to San Francisco and that's actually when I became a flight attendant as a part-time job while I was working on my master's. So it's kind of interesting because most people go and are a flight attendant first and then kind of go into management. I was opposite because it just met my needs at the time to have a very flexible schedule and something that I could, you know, leave at the door when I left work so that I could focus on my studies. Now that's, that's, that's so interesting. And, and Ephraim, how about you? You've had a, a, quite a few interesting parts of your career so far. But, but before that, when, you know, Ephraim's 15 and he's thinking about kind of work or not thinking about work, what, 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 do you, what did you think it was going to be like? Sure. So my first job out of college was with a nonprofit, but I moved across the U.S. from California to Massachusetts to try to get a job with that nonprofit because I had basically during college fallen in love with that nonprofit. So if you ask, what did I expect out of work when I got out of college, then really what I expected was passion, community, meaning, hard work, and very much along the lines with what Jesse said, uh, learning. I expected that that my work would be something that I would thoroughly throw myself into and that the workplace would be a place where there's community around that work. And I think that that actually was very much the case when I started at Oxfam America. I'm sure it still is, of course, there. 
And I think that in some ways I'm fairly representative of the, that millennial perspective on work, that it's about passion and we're seeking meaning and community as well as a lot of really hard work. So in some ways I've, my response feels very generic and, and typical. Yeah, I can see what you mean. But when you, when what struck me when you're saying this and, and also when you're giving your kind of experience, Jesse, is, is how different that is now to the way that it was, you know, even 15, 20 years ago. I mean, I mean, the idea that you could get these sort of experiences, passion, enjoyment, meaning from work would have been considered really kind of naive, you know, the, the, the province of artists, um, you know, a kind of labor of love. You know, that's a quote from Shakespeare, isn't it? And I guess it's it sort of reflects that idea. I mean, why uh, maybe for you, Jesse, I mean, why why do you think this has has changed? Why has this become part of what we expect in work? Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about that, because I I've learned that about myself over the last several years in the workforce that I have to be emotionally connected or morally connected somehow to my work. I have to feel the passion and see the change that I'm making in the world. And, you know, maybe it's, it's lifestyle. Maybe it is, you know, this, this mindset of being a millennial, but I know that I can't easily delineate between work and play and life. It's all, all those lines are very blurred now. And I think that's part of it. The way that technology has enabled us to be sort of quote unquote online all the time has probably shaped that in some way. So I know that when I am, you know, driving out to the beach to go surfing in the morning and I'm answering emails and then coming out of the water and driving home back to get to the office and doing the same thing or taking calls that that doesn't feel wrong to me. That's just and it's it's enabling if it's nothing else. And I think that that's part of it. I think technology's played a tremendous role in letting all those lines be blurred. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I'm I mean I'm, I'm quite a bit older than both of you, and so I'm just kind of reflecting for myself on what what, what I expected from from work. And I I think I mean I, I chose not to become a lawyer, became a journalist, and I think you know this was in the late 70s, and I think. Part of that was trying to do something that I felt had more kind of impact. But then when I actually came into the workplace and found I had to be in an office, I sort of found the experience, the only word I, I, I can use is sort of revolting. You know, I, 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 I had a great job, but just really didn't feel that it was for me. And I can always remember, um, it was four years later when I eventually went you know, freelance, which was unusual then, and sitting in a cafe in Notting Hill in London, writing a an article for a, for a newspaper, um, I think on a typewriter, God, and <laughs> and just feeling this sense of kind of freedom and liberation, and like I can be here and and I'm working and I'm earning money and this is good. I could just imagine you walking into a <laughs> coffee shop with some enormous typewriter. 
and sitting there at some table pounding away at the keys and people just staring <laughs> at you. Yeah. If that were to happen today, it would just be like so celebrated. This like super vintage <laughs> guy exactly. walking into a Starbucks or, or oh, we, we've, we've thought of a whole new we've thought of a whole new kind of uh, t- technology tool. It, it looks like <laughs> a typewriter, but it's actually digital. <laughs> this is this is great. Yeah. So I mean, it, it sounds from from what you're saying that when you came into work. You, you kind of both expected that you would enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, and not to say that it would be easy, but that it would be meaningful and exciting and, and, and there would be a lot of connection with other people around the work. So translate that into this, this concept of, of in the kind of workplaces that you're both in, what does it mean to kind of be yourself in work and what is it about the places that you work that allow that are they are they cultural things are they are they digital things jesse do you have a, a, a you know what's what is it about adobe that might enable somebody coming into the workplace there to to feel like they can be themselves yeah. So, you know, one thing that I think adobe does an amazing job is we stay very true to what our business is and that's, you know, enabling creative people around the world and to be creative, you have to show your individuality. And so it's a celebrated mindset at Adobe. And there's many things that we do to enable that. I think the design of our buildings to enable places to be sort of tucked away in a, in a phone booth or in the open and working in a, in a cafe atmosphere with your peers. So there's a lot of community, but there's also a lot of, I guess, just like, you know, this belief in diversity. And, and that's to me, you know, diversity is a very hot topic right now, especially around tech and people may associate that with gender or with race or ability or things like that. But to me, diversity is just the bringing your whole self and, allowing that to whatever that is. And if that, you know, comes down to, you know, your gender or your sexual preference, all those different things, whatever it is, that whole self comes to work. And there's this theory that the more diverse a team is, the more productive they are. And this is, you know, it's just been proven. And so I think Adobe knows that it it wants to reach every single person in the world to be creative because we know we believe it's innately within us we're all makers and so we we just create that atmosphere that all those kinds of people are also welcome here and i i see people with pink hair and tattooed sleeves and people wearing suits because that's what they love and you know it's just like everything around and and and, and faces from every part of the world and and because we have such an open workspace without you know offices and things like that. It enables us to all embrace other people too and learn about each other and look at those strengths and weaknesses and and help one another. And it's such an organic experience. So, I mean, the the image that kind of came to me, don't know why, was you you get Woodstock, what, 1969, I think it was, and you basically turn it into a co-working space. Perfect. So you put some organization <laughs> around it, you put some technology, you get them on freelancer.com and you get people organized and that's what it is, <laughs> which is, which is not a bad, it's a not a bad image and a not a bad, a bad thing to be experiencing. But, but just tell me a little bit about what you're actually doing at Adobe and, and how you're trying to 
in a way bring together the the opportunities of the digital workplace with this opportunity for individuality yeah so what we really want to focus on is you know that we have this kind of progressive methodology around performance at Adobe called check-in and something you could Google Adobe check-in and find plenty of resources out there. But basically this idea is that it's, it's the manager and the employee, it's one-on-one and it's all about what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do? Think about your projects as little tours of duty. Ben Casanova mentioned this, you know, in a, in a book as well, but think about your, your time here at Adobe is all about experience and the individual drives the experience. So what we're trying to do on the digital learning team is create, we recently just this year um, in the spring launched a brand new microsite on our intranet called Inside Adobe. And this new learning development site couples access to platforms, on-demand learning, also surfaces a full catalog of live learning events that we offer across the company, but access to things like lynda.com and Harvard Management Tour or Safari Books Online or other, you know, courses at General Assembly and all these other external places that are offering skill building workshops or or true certificates or training. And then we we pair that side by side with information about how to have really effective checking conversations with your manager. So how to set expectations, how to take feedback, how to make goals, how to reach that next step. And then lastly, paired with internal career opportunities. So the idea is that when you're here, we want you to grow and achieve your potential. And and that's that, you know, that's each individual has a different path. It's not necessarily up. It could be sideways. It could be diagonal. It could be crisscrossed around the company. But the whole idea is that you have everything you need in one place digitally. You can go and explore this. You can drive your own conversations with your manager. You can go and and be curious about different learning opportunities and then see how that matches up with internal opportunities. And all the while, setting the path for yourself. You know, it's not so rigid that you have to take this very linear path to get from A to B. There's there's loops and turns along the way, and that's based off of your own curiosities that you bring to the table as your own self. And how you do that and the timing is 100% determined by the employee. You're listening to Digital Workplace Impact with me, Paul Miller, where I investigate and explore the ideas, practices, and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. Today, I'm in conversation with Jesse Hunt, Digital Learning Leader Adobe, and Ephraim Julius Freed, Internal Communications Manager at Riot Games, exploring how the new digital workplace is enabling us to bring ourselves to work each day. There's a, an initiative going on in Singapore to look at sort of Singapore 50 years forward and it's it's a it's a small place singapore but it is a country and they have a proposition whereby they invest money in each of their citizens year on year for lifelong learning so there's like a sort of learning bucket that you've got that you can spend through your life because they believe that what you start off doing you won't be doing at the end of your life partly to do with life expectancy and innovation and change. And I think that's a a kind of fascinating point. And Ephraim, you know, within the within the Riot Games and the environment that you're that you're in, how does this 
match against that and what's what does a day in riot games feel like you know paul as you know i worked for the digital workplace group for uh, uh, about five years or so. And all that time I was working from home. One of the things I loved about the digital workplace group was the, the focus on being yourself at work. Uh, and so when I started looking to actually go back into an office because working from home, I was kind of going a little bit crazy being by myself all the time. I was asking myself, what kind of place do I want to be in? And one of the answers was, I want to work in a place where every day is bring yourself to work day. That's how I thought about it. And that's part of the reason I ended up at, at Riot Games. And I was thinking about this. I think that uh, one of the reasons that's so important to me is because I've always felt a little bit like a strange bird, right? a little bit like a weirdo. My cousin refers to my my uh, family, you know, my my. Um, nuclear family. And she tells people that mm -hmm. I'm the normal one of the bunch. And that makes people <laughs> who know me think, oh my God, his family must be so weird if he's the normal one. So, right. so I think that because of that, it's always been important for me to, to think that I can work in a place where I can be myself. And so that's exactly what I was looking for. And, and, and I think I really found that in Riot Games and it's been uh, really wonderful to see that. I do just want to quickly circle back to what you were saying about learning and what Jesse was saying. I've got a couple of young daughters, and one of the things that I've discovered from being a parent is that the drive to learn and curiosity and the hacker mentality, those are incredibly innate in human beings. And I think that in some ways the role of work as well as schooling is to not get in the way of that. Right. And so I think that I, I also myself was looking for a workplace where all of those things that learning, hacking, curiosity could be nurtured and, and embraced as well. And, and so, again, that's one of the reasons that I, I think I landed at Riot Games. Yeah. And just just give me a, a, something that gives me a, a sort of insight into what does it feel like to be at Riot Games? Because I, I, I haven't been there, but I've looked at the I've looked at the website and I've looked at, uh, there's a great picture of it. it. looks like everybody who works in one location together. And uh, what's, it, what's, what's it feel like to be in there? Well, let me just give a quick example. Um, there's a fella who wears a utility kilt to work every day. That's a, a kilt that's, you know, like designed with some pockets and, and made to be an everyday sort of kilt. And that's just normal and expected. And again, this harkens back to what Jesse was saying Um you know, it's the kind of environment where you're expected to be yourself. And I think the important thing is um, in work today, we shouldn't be accepted for who we are. We should be embraced for who we are, right? It should be like wonderful and amazing because when you go to work, you're bringing your whole self to work. And so that whole self should be kind of taken into account and, and celebrated. Yeah. And I, I, and I'm, I suppose I'm just kind of thinking, is is this something that's particular to I mean you're both in creative companies, very successful creative companies, but would this translate into let's say a more traditional environment? So if you're working for a large pharmaceutical company, what does what does this look like potentially, either now or in the future, inside one of those organizations or is it that in those places you that it's seeking out conformity or is that just an old concept 
I think there's a place for everyone, but my belief is there is an art to nonconformity <laughs> and, and maybe Ephraim's like a little bit like me is that we seek out places that don't feel like they're conforming so much. So that could be more speak to who we are as individuals. I know I, I worked as a flight attendant. I worked in a job that I had, I was completely governed by rules and I wore a uniform every day and I was meant to conform and, and be completely calibrated across the entire fleet with everybody else like me. But I never felt like I couldn't be myself. I never felt like I couldn't, you know, tell my own stories and have my own energy and interact with people in my own way. I just had to do it in the confines of what the, the corporate brand was at the time there's just different shades of being an individual. You know, I'm someone who would live in my bathing suit on the beach every day if I could. I I live for that environment, but I come to the office. I'm wearing high heels and pants today and, you know, I curled my hair and, you know, that's just something that it still feels okay. And so I think there's just all these different shades of individuality and what we're willing to conform to for social norms and what we're not. And you just have to know those non-compromisables for yourself. And that just takes a great deal of curiosity and learning inward. And so that you can bring that to the table. And, you know, Paul, I have three words for you. Okay. Enterprise resource planning. Does enter right. enterprise resource planning software sound like super sexy and exciting and as though you'd get really fascinating, creative people working on it? Maybe not necessarily, but if you look at <laughs> yep. the example of a company like Workday that makes that software, they were on the Digital Workplace Live uh, webinar a while back with an award-winning intranet, and it was clear that they had this really exciting, innovative, fun organizational culture. And they're making a tool that big enterprises use for you know HR and finance and things like that, it's not one of those things that we consider sexy, but they've created a culture around it that is very attractive and powerful, and they've brought in a lot of people that really care about the company. And so I think that it is a myth that every company or, or, or companies have to be conformist and that there is any work that's actually super boring. I think that two things. One, any company can strive to build that powerful culture that's very attractive to people. And two, you know, Let's take the, the example of accounting work. My dad is an accountant. He has been my whole life. He loves math. He loves numbers. And there are other freaks out there who love that too. And if you get those people together, it's powerful. And so in some ways, I think that the, the call to action for companies uh, looking to the future is to find that essence of passion behind what they do and help find the people who connect with that as weird and strange as it might be. Yeah, I mean, and I just wonder whether it's it's a bit like, you know, water will find its level. So if you join, let's say, a bank, you've got a different expectation of what being yourself in the workplace is going to feel like there than maybe you do at, at Riot Games. So it's a kind of self-selecting process. Would that sound right? I think it is. And I also think that going forward, you know, there are going to be lots of different types of banks. And if you look at, for example, in the U.S., mm, credit unions, 
they attract people that are interested in banking, but also interested in community service and connecting with people in their local communities. And I, I imagine those kinds of organizations might have perhaps higher employee engagement levels, tenure levels than other big banks that maybe have a more generic kind of approach to banking. Now, that's really interesting. I mean, do you feel that um, some people might feel a little bit uncomfortable? I'm just kind of thinking that, that some people really like to have conformity and rules around them. I mean, could this could this concept of individuality in the workplace be a little bit sort of scary for some people? You know, that's such a uh, funny thing that you say that um, that some people like that and need it because I agree with you. I and I can only share you know this example because my husband is a pilot. And he, as most people know, the actual time that he's physically working is, is actually a lot fewer hours than us, but it's a very intense job. And, you know, he's, he has, uh, definitely, and he would be happy with me sharing this, but he's, he has ADD pretty, pretty bad. It's hard for him to focus. Um, he's struggled with that his whole life and he's done many jobs and he, he wanted to, you know, we're very similar and he wanted to be out and travel the world. And, you know, he went down many different paths before he became a pilot, but now he's so grateful for it because it forces him to focus and do something intense, but for a short amount of time. And he doesn't have to think about what he wears to work. He doesn't have to think about what projects he's doing and what he has to negotiate. He knows he has to be very good at his job for, you know, three days or four days a week and work really well with those people. But the job is essentially the same and he gets to put on a uniform and he loves that because then all of those times where he's away from there, he gets to be himself and he can truly let down and relax. And it's what works for him. And he's, and he's so happy and he's so himself at work because he knows he found the sweet spot for him, for his personality, for his struggles, for his passions, his need for speed, all of those kinds of things. They were able to come together for him. And that's where I say like there are these different shades of individuality because our needs are so incredibly different and they're different at different stages of our life. And going back to what you shared about the study in Singapore and you know, we're going to be doing something, most of us, very different than when we started the world of work. And that's, it's going to change and it's going to evolve even more while we're in our working years. Ephraim and I are still in our, probably our first or second decade of, of working and it's going to change a lot. So it's about us always being curious and going back to knowing ourselves so that we can find that best fit for us to live and be and reach that potential. And, and I'm just wondering the relationship between what we're talking about and where technology, how, how technology has enabled some of this deeper experience of, of ourselves in work to come about. I'd be just interested to know, maybe Ephraim, what you feel in terms of the role that technology is playing or played to enable this shift to the whole person in work. You know, when I first got into the world of intranets, it was because it was kind of the dawn of, of enterprise social software. And I saw how that interactivity and, and putting people first rather than content necessarily offered the opportunity to build community. And especially across offices with colleagues that you might be able to connect with powerfully if only you had the chance. 
And so I think that one of the things that technology does, especially when it's social, when it's putting people first, is it creates many more opportunities for connection and community beyond the, you know, 20 people that sit really close to you or that you might see when you go to the bathroom or the cafeteria or whatnot. I, I think that's one piece of it. I think also, you know, Paul, there are some people who are really active on social media that are actually introverts, right? If you get them in the room, they're, they're going to be much more quiet. And in some ways, technology allows people to connect even if they wouldn't be as comfortable doing it in person. And some people, as you, I'm sure you've seen online, use online places to let more of themselves out than they feel comfortable doing in person. And so I think those are some examples of how technology lets people be themselves more. It doesn't guarantee it, but it does provide that opportunity. And Jesse, do you feel that that the digital workplace is, is an enabler of, of a greater opportunity for, for, the indiv- for individuality to come into work? Absolutely. I mean, really for the same exact reasons just outlined in the age of social and, and how that's actually integrated into the workplace. But it also enables us to to connect at a different level. So I would say there's this theory that out there, you know, in social media, things are very surface level, but I I see the exact opposite. I see things even within the company, like on our forums within, with Yammer, we use internally and people talking about real issues and being able to see my colleagues get passionate about things, especially maybe around something that's going on in the industry or, or perhaps it's, you know, something around like a top a hot topic like diversity or women in technology, things that I'm also very passionate about. We get to have these really rich conversations and I'm connecting with people that are working in Bangalore, India about a topic that's very real to them and very real to me in San Francisco. And we're connecting on this issue via technology. So it allows me to express myself. So that's a very interesting level. And the other side of it is it, it, Technology allows us to be mobile and be free and be not glued to our desk or our cubicle, allows us to go to the the kitchen and have a conversation while we're making our coffee and and maybe be, you know, answering an email or be approachable. So there's there's many different layers to it. Yeah. And I and I, I just kind of wonder whether it's 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 also that, you know, work has always been defined by location. And, and increasingly, location is not a physical experience purely. You know, we can locate ourselves within a digital world. And so that gives us the adaptability, the ability to kind of flex and influence the shape of our working week, our working day is more. And so I think it's probably um, that the technology is seeping through work in ways that are quite subtle, but 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 quite quite profound. And I'm just wondering, when you think about your organizations, other organizations who are experiencing this, this greater experience of individuals, what would you say the kind of main ways that, that your companies gain from this? For me, one of the most important lenses to see this through is one of, um, let's see, team performance, trust, and safety. So more and more research shows that high-performing teams have high levels of emotional safety. High-performing teams have high levels of trust, accountability, caring. 
things like that. And it's very hard to have high levels of trust if you can't just be yourself. And if you, if you aren't going to be celebrated for who you are, cared about for who you are. And so I think that being yourself at work actually very much contributes to the idea of high performing teams, which is one of those, in some ways it's a bit of a buzzword, but it's also a very real thing out in the world of work. And if you want teams that kick ass, you need people that don't have any friction around being themselves. They're not hiding or some part of themselves or trying to be something or fit some mold. They're just being themselves and they're tying their passion to their work. You get that friction out of the way and you enable people to connect, build trust and do better work. And um, Jesse, what what would you point to when you're thinking about the, uh, the 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 gains and benefits for 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 Adobe from this? Yeah, I mean, just going back to you know something again that's very rich in our culture is how we harbor this curiosity and creativity, and I don't I don't think that you enable that for yourself unless you sort of let those guards down and become who you are in the workplace. And, you know, going back to the the point of trust and that trust within team, I, I know when someone's not being authentic, it's very easy for me to spot. I've seen it and it's uncomfortable for me. And then it kind of makes me inauthentic in a way. And then all of a sudden we've created this wedge in between our collaboration because of it. And the output won't be what it could be. We won't reach that potential. So, I absolutely agree with this idea and this theory that the more we are ourselves, the more we trust one another, the more productive we are. I think that is the equation. And I think culturally here at Adobe, and this is just my experience, I can't speak for everybody, but culturally it is, we're so celebrated to be ourselves and we kind of have to be because we have to work in this open space. You know, I, I have uh, maybe a 18 inch little wall in between me and my coworker and we hear each other and we talk all day and we hear each other's conversations and we just, we have to be comfortable with that. And if you're not comfortable with that, you get comfortable really quickly. And Paul, one other thing to add is that um, Gallup's Q12 around employee engagement. uh, One of the questions there is about, do you have a best friend at work? And what that really gets down to is the importance of connecting with other human beings at work, right? Feeling like you belong. And If work is an environment where people are encouraged to be themselves, where the workplace even facilitates people connecting around shared interests, then you help to build that community and connection, which gets people excited to come into work every day, gets them excited to contribute to whatever the organization is doing. And that, you know, that energy is something that helps companies do amazing things. And that's yet another reason why appreciating people just being themselves at work is so important. Yeah, and I'm also wondering about the, you know, impact that this has on recruitment and retention. Because obviously, there, you know, there's a, I don't like the words war for talent, but, you know, there's a, there's a desire to get the best people. And if you ask particularly companies in the tech sector, what's the biggest problem that they face? It's finding good people. And it would, uh, to what extent does this really help in a you know competitive environment for for good people i think that the more collaborative and the more open we are and and i guess em- embracing of 
individuality, the less attrition there is. And I think it does go back down to this idea. You know, everybody, I think the secret sauce is if you really want to fit in, you got to have a friend, you need to have something important to do, and you need to know why you're doing it. And that's kind of how work is. And that's kind of how life is. Any organization I've ever been a part of in my life has had those three things and to be successful. And when you kind of lose one, it makes you reevaluate. So if we're ourselves at work and we bring that, if we have bring yourself to work day every single day to quote you from, (laughs) I think there's, there's something there's a longevity in that mindset. And it's, it's actually such a simple thing, but we get, we, we have a, such a complex world and, and we increasingly make it more complex. But when we strip down and simplify and we get down to the human, and this is what I study, you know, human behavior, how that works in the workplace. I'm constantly thinking we have to get simpler and I'm going to steal this quote. I mean, bring yourself to work day every day is, is really fascinating. And and I think when we're able to do that, attrition and leaving and going somewhere else, there's a time and a place, you know, we like to move on, but it's not like, well, when is that going to be? You know, it's more, let's just be here now. Let's just do this for now and see what myself is like here. And when you lose one of those things, like you don't know what you're doing it for anymore, or you don't have something interesting to do, or you don't have the connection with the people, then that's maybe when you make the change. But the more you're yourself, maybe the longer that those things last. Well, Paul, I think, you know, building on what Jesse said, we tend to think that we're in this age where work and the the person are kind of coming back together or, or coming together. And previously it wasn't that case. But if you think of the swordsmith who used to, you know, forge swords out of steel and whatnot, that person probably worked and lived in the same place. Their livelihood was a massive part of, of who they were. And their work was also part of who they were within the community. And in some ways, I think we're, we're getting back to that, but in this modern digital age. Um, and I think that uh, kind of going from the, you know, the, the, person who's making swords out of fire and iron to the person who is doing creative knowledge work today, in order for that person to to do their very best work, they do need to feel comfortable. They do need to feel themselves. And I think that um, we're in that age, and you see it every day, I think, where being able to attract people to places where they think they can do their best creative work and knowledge work is the the key thing in that war for talent that's going to help um, the, the winners win. Digital Workplace Impact is a Digital Workplace Group production. DWG is a strategic partner and boutique consultancy covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry. But I've got to give you a health warning. I am CEO and founder of the Digital Workplace Group, so totally biased in recommending DWG. But having said that, it is a company that for 15 years has been doing great work in the digital workplace industry. If you want to learn more and reach your own conclusions, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com. And all the show notes and links from today's show can be found at digitalworkplacegroup.com slash DWimpact. And I suppose, and I don't want to get into 
one of those things where I try and fire difficult questions at either of you to try and catch you well, out. That because fun. I, <laughs> and that, yeah, let's but do I, it. But it cause, <laughs> because I don't, I don't like that style. But I suppose what's what's coming to me is for somebody listening, thinking, well, you know, I, I'm I'm a in a, a kind of delivery driver. I'm a, involving you know garbage clearance. You know, it's like I I don't have a job that sounds as interesting as these guys. Maybe I'd like to, maybe I wouldn't like to, whatever. But but uh, is somebody in that situation excluded from this individuality opportunity? Yeah, I I mean, if you don't mind me taking this first, I sure. uh, the first thought that comes to mind is going back to this idea of like I know when people are not being authentic. You know, you know when you see your your mailman or mailwoman drop off the mail and they're just sort of like going through the grind versus the one that says hi every day and is smiling and enjoying themselves. They're making the best of what they're doing and they love that job. You know, my husband and I love to reclaim old things. And so there's a salvage yard in our small little town. And I I know I'm calling from San Francisco, but I live about 12 miles north and it, it feels like I live you know, 200 miles away from the city when we're there. And it's this, this small little hippie counterculture town. And we go to the salvage yard and this guy, Otis, he runs the salvage yard and, you know, he sets the prices, but this is like anything under the sun that could be used in a home, whether it's furniture or materials. And we're constantly going there just to see what we can find and what we can restore. And we've done many different projects, which is a conversation for another time. But when I get there, he's playing his music. This is like, I can't even imagine what, you know, the pay is or anything like this job, but he's literally sitting in in the one shaded spot of at the back of a lumber yard and kind of guarding this trove of items that need to be reclaimed. And he's, he's got his Caribbean music on and he's making jokes and every person that comes in there, they, most people don't leave with something, but everybody has this experience with Otis and he is so himself at this job. And it could be so much more formal or more sterile of an experience for us, but it's not. We we sometimes stroll by on our bikes just to go say hi to Otis because we just know we're going to feel good when we leave. And I think that that's what it is. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like the work is, everything is work. Like we're always going to be working. We're either working on ourselves or working in our job or working on relationships. Everything is work. It's just what we bring to that experience, what we bring to the table. And I don't know that anyone's truly excluded. I think it's a lot easier for me to have pink hair at Adobe than it was when I was a flight attendant. But I also got to you know, interact with people in a different way in that job as a flight attendant than I do here. And I had a lot of change and got to see different cities. And so that brought a different part of my individuality out. And I think that's what it is. It's like every job brings out something and, you know, it all comes down to how we express ourselves. I think that's a big part of individuality. Wow. What a, what a fantastic answer, Jesse. I mean, um, uh, you know, you've kind of basically imbued meaning and the, or the opportunity for meaning into every single person's work. I also, I don't know why, but I'm sort of getting the picture of this 12 miles out, this little hippie community, <laughs> Otis. And I, I, I feel like I'm watching a movie. Maybe it's because I'm just trying to imagine it as you're talking. But um, 
it, it just sounds it just sounds so charming, doesn't it? it, it Ephraim? It's a wonderful place to live. <laughs> uh, it sounds very much like where I grew up. And funny thing, Jesse, I actually love making furniture out of reclaimed materials. I built a desk for myself for my home office a while back out of an old entertainment center. I built a shelf out of uh, an old bed that that we were going to get rid of. And and I think there's something really wonderful and beautiful about doing that. And it's so much better to do it yourself than get something from restoration hardware. I agree. And it's like the community of it. You know, I get to connect with Otis and then my husband and I get to work on a project and it's just satisfying. And I think, you know, we are, we are creative and somehow if going back to your comment from earlier, you know, maybe work got in the way or education got in the way, but we're creatives and we're makers. We're all, we are all are, we, that is, I believe that in every part of me that we all have that ability. And when people say, Oh, I'm not artistic. Oh, I'm not a creative type. Yes, you are. You just forgot. (laughs) And so you need to do something Mm. to remember that. That doesn't mean you need to be really good at making furniture, but there's something inside of you that wants to come out and using your hands and being creative is is incredibly cathartic in a way as well when we think about how fast-paced life can be these days. So I'm so glad that we have that commonality. It's a great, oh, great hobby. Absolutely. And again, yeah. I always bring these things back to my children, but um, my daughter, Ella, who's four, she's a hacker. She hacks her wardrobe, among other things, right? And to see the level of interest in learning and curiosity and creativity in children is incredible. She will take a dress and uh, pull it down from her arms to make it strapless. And then she'll push it down and make it into a skirt. And then she'll take a pair of her underwear and put it on as if it's a bra because she sees her mom, you know, wearing a bra or a bathing suit or whatever it is. And she, she takes whatever is in front of her and makes it into whatever she wants it to be. She is a hacker. And I think that observing her and my other daughter and seeing that it makes me realize exactly what you said, Jesse, we are all born as creative hackers. And the question is, how does the the world of work enable that to continue? And Paul, back to your question about, you know, you mentioned the delivery driver. Well, the fact is that with self-driving cars, we're looking at within the next 10 years, about 5 million truck driver jobs are going to disappear, right? Because self-driving cars and uh, artificial intelligence are going to take on a lot of that work. But the thing is, We're seeing millions of jobs destroyed every year. And actually, I just heard a podcast with uh, Mark Andreessen of Andreessen Horowitz, and he said that the level of job destruction on an annual basis in the U.S. is actually going down. It's not going up. And so there are tons of jobs being created. Fewer are being destroyed. AI is going to destroy some jobs. But the story of industrialization as well as artificial intelligence is machines and computers taking over the work that is less human. And that means that the opportunities for humans to do more human work. And I think the imperative for all of us workers is to continually ask ourselves, what do I want? What do I love? What do I want to be doing for my livelihood? Yeah, no, that's it's a fascinating idea. And, And in a way, what you're saying is that is that the more mundane, repetitive, you know, potentially automated or AI affected work will reduce and as you say, the, the level of job or work creation is probably an unprecedented level, completely counter really to what, what people are thinking. And, and, and let's just kind of do a little bit of future gazing. So, Jesse, you, you know, you're a keen surfer, the CEO of Patagonia, 
wrote a book called Let My I think I'm it Let My People Surf. Let My People Go Surfing, yeah. Let My People Go Surfing, thank you. And um so just roll forward ten years time and we're looking at equivalent workplaces to the ones that you're in. Uh, I'm just wondering what you think the kind of main differences might be then. Yeah, so I think I've maybe I, I shared this when we first met for the first time, which was such an engaging conversation that we had down there in, in Foster City. But, you know, I read this book by Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, Let My People Go Surfing. It, it if you understand surfing or, or no, it's not something that I can say every morning at 7 a.m. I'm going to go catch a wave. It depends on tides. It depends on wind. It depends on weather. All of those things affect if there's actually a wave to surf. And so sometimes it's good to go surfing at 4 p.m. And sometimes it's good to go at 6 a.m. And sometimes the best waves at noon. And this concept is, you know, he said, I, I'm going to let my people go surfing. I'm going to let them go and do this because it's passion and it's a lifestyle choice. And if they're going to go surfing at noon and take a long lunch, then they're going to stay a little later or get, they're still going to get the job done. But I'm going to let them go because this is who they are. And that concept, you know, works for me. I mean, I sometimes I just have a project and I need to focus and I, I live in nature. Basically, you know, I live right by at the foothills of a little coastal range here north of San Francisco. And I need to go up on the trails and get re-energized before I finish my project. And that's you know, something that I, we all know that about ourselves, what energizes us and helps us be productive. And I think Yvonne Chouinard was really on to that. I think what it looks like in the future, especially in the technology sector, I think there's going to be, and, you know, this might be a little bit provocative. I think other people have said it though, that there's going to be more of like an Uberization of work. We're all going to be freelancers. I think we're going to be able to come in and do really specific jobs that we love and, for specific amounts of time and collaborate and then maybe step away and recharge, however that might be for each of us, and then come back. And some people might never step away because they don't need to, or they recharge in different cycles. And we're going to be able to work the way that's best for us because we're all so different. And when we try to conform and, you know, I, I work in a, in a building, there's engineers and there's um, recruiters and there's office people and, you know, admins and things. And there's people here at six o'clock and there's people that don't show up till 10 o'clock. And it, it kind of, we're already kind of evolving that way. The, the work's getting done. We're getting more comfortable with playing with the boundaries of the nine to five. I'm thinking about work on the weekends. I think about it at night. I think about it while I'm, you know, running or doing something active. But I think about other things when I'm in the office too, that don't have anything to do with work. So we're getting more comfortable with it. And that's what I think will be the future is us figuring out what we're really good at and how we want to play a role in the workplace and then being comfortable with doing it in a, in a maybe a non-conformed time frame or way or place even. And I think that will happen very shortly. I don't think it's going to be 10 years. I think it's more like five years from now. Yeah, and just to kind of add to that, um, you know, fascinating reply, and I'm, I'm fascinated to hear what, what you say, Ephraim. And just the, the, the thing that it uh, reminded me of is that one of my daughters who's just graduated from university, she's 22, and, and what I found fascinating was that she thought that work would fall into different phases. She was thinking about 
between when she is now to maybe early thirties and maybe children, and then she's thinking, well, then you work, you do, you do different work then, and then maybe in your fifties you do different work, and you you know almost like thinking of your life in in these sort of chapters, these seasons, and I thought. What a, what a fantastic way to to sort of think about work, and Ephraim, when you're looking forward to ten years and and what what it might be like in in uh, Riot Games or a company like that, what 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 do you see? Well, it's funny. Um, I both agree and disagree with Jesse. I do think that we'll see the continuation of the freelancification of work. However. I think that the, the flip side of that, which is actually more powerful than some people realize, is that there's an imperative for companies to, to build really strong teams, right? Freelancification is actually kind of very individualization of work and it's teams coming together loosely and then dissipating and reforming and things like that. But a lot of the time, if you want the best possible work, you get it by building a team, which takes time. It takes time to build the community, the sense of trust and accountability within a team. Teamwork in the workplace requires the same kind of practice that it requires on the soccer field or uh, football for you, Paul. And, uh, and so companies that are looking to do absolutely amazing things need to be thinking about how to build absolutely amazing teams. And that requires time, it requires commitment, and it requires practice. And so I think that while we'll see that freelancification of work, we'll see in parallel the focus on what it requires to build these strong teams and what it requires to attract people to a meaningful purpose at work around which those teams can be formed. I think we'll see both. I don't think it'll be one or the other. Yeah, and I think there's something interesting. I love that point because when I think about me at my best, I love to work with teams and I love to collaborate with people. But I also, you know, this idea of like, you know, does Michael Jordan leave on the high note or does he come one more year and see what happens? I love the idea of maybe like the, the band, just, you know, the team disbanding on the high note and going to another team. And that's where I think that freelancation comes in. You know, like we can go and we can work on another project and maybe it's a six month project or maybe it's a six year project. But then we go and we go to the next thing because we're curious and we're you know, we want to learn more and we want to learn more about ourselves and be stretched a little bit. And so that's where it gets really interesting to me that th there's actually a juxtaposition of both of these fields of thought. And, you know, the other piece of that, and I totally agree, Jesse, I feel like my history is every time I start getting good at something, I go do something else, right? Something like that. Like, why not just stick with something and get amazing at it? I don't know. I'm, I'm like shooting myself in the foot. But the converse of that is that when a team has reached a really high level, they need the next challenge, right? They need the next challenge as a team that brings them down a level so that they have to aspire, so they have to face great obstacles and challenges in order to reach that high level of teamwork again. And I think that it can happen in both ways, right? A team excels and then it disbands and all the members go and find the next big challenge or the team itself is presented with the next big challenge that, that makes it do better than it did previously when it did really well. I think both can happen. Yeah, and I think that um, uh, in a way what you're both talking about is the is the choice and the options that have become available and will increasingly be available. So it's it's almost like whatever is the style of work you're looking for, 
will be a lot more accessible to you. And, and I'm just kind of wondering, I've got a couple of questions for you, bef- each of you, before we before we bring things to a close. And um, it's just been so good talking to you. But I'm, I'm kind of wondering, so so what does retirement mean in in this individualized work of world of work because it it strikes me that retirement is a sort of concept developed to escape work you don't enjoy and so if uh, i'm wondering what you think retirement might mean in in this different experience of work jesse what's what's your feeling around that retirement is not to me what it what it is to my parents and i know that for a fact I think of retirement, back to what your daughter shared, is just being a different season for me. I'll be working. I'll just be doing a different kind of work. Maybe it won't be as physically demanding, like commuting or any, you know, anything laborious in any way, but I'll still be using my brain, I would imagine, until I can't anymore. So to me, it's just lighter work or it's more work where I feel like I can give back. I think we have a little bit of a bell curve. We're learning, we're learning, we're learning. We grow, we kind of master things. And then we transition to this other phase where we give back what we've learned. Because I know the people that I interact with, people in my network that are in that season of their life, they are incredibly important to the younger generation to help shape and give them perspective. My father has, he tried the retirement thing where he stops working for about 18 months and was very unsatisfied, so decided to go and, and become a professor at the university, leaving the technology world. It was it was too hard to transition, and I, I envision myself being very similar. I think retirement is about keep moving <laughs> for me. It's not about relaxing. It's, it's about staying and keep moving, so maybe... I don't know what that will be. I'm, I do know for one, for certain, retirement means I'll be near the ocean. <laughs> A lot more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, uh, what is it? On, near, up, uh, above, below, beneath. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> In yeah. the water. Yeah. Exploring. And, um, uh, absolutely. And um, Ephraim, what, what about, what, is, what does retirement mean? Well, I'm really jiving with all the stuff that Jesse said. And, and Jesse, when I'm... Um, I told my wife that I really, really, really wanted to, to work for Riot Games and wanted to move from our beautiful, you know, life in Tacoma, Washington, down to Los Angeles. She said, well, we better live near the damn water then. <laughs> and, and so we, yeah. you know, we were a mile away from the water and we walked there and pushed the girls in the double jogging stroller. And, and, and the water is a big part of our lives, too. So retirement, you know, all the things Jesse said totally resonate. I think that in some ways retirement represents just a kind of a slowing down in a very natural way. And it also represents the continuation of learning. My mom is 72 years old and she just got her first master's degree this year. My dad, he retired this year, but he's still consulting. He's consulting to younger accountants. He's consulting and advising some clients and he's starting to, you know, get more involved in his philosophy reading and philosophy groups and things like that. And so I think that there is a natural cycle to aging and to slowing down. And, and we need to, I think retirement will continue to honor that. And I think that also there's that natural kind of wisdom that you get with such uh, extensive experience when you reach 72 years old. And I think that like Jesse said, 
the the role of mentorship um, is super important. But I do think that it is going to change. I think it will be less about, ah, finally I can stop doing this horrible work and start enjoying myself to a slowing down of pace, but probably more continuation than we've ever seen in the past around retirement. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, I think it's very interesting. I mean, as I say, I'm, I'm sort of closer to that by a long way from both of you. Uh, but I, I know in my mind, it's about sort of keeping working and thinking and living and learning, but just in different ways. So I, I like this concept in the in in Sanskrit. The word dharma is kind of meaning action and work as action, and any action is work. And I think it's it's so we want to keep there's always going to be action in our lives. So the question that I like to end on for you first, Ephraim, is um, what do you think makes a a perfect, you know, when it really goes well? What's a perfect work day for you? A perfect work day starts with focusing on something in the morning and getting it done. I think it includes really productive, collaborative work with people where we go out of a meeting feeling energized by the work together. Preferably that happens more in the afternoon. I think it also involves some creative conflict and that often requires some courage to go into a place that maybe um, is not easy to go, confront someone with some feedback that may not be easy to, to give and uh, to uh, to leave the work at the end of the day feeling like a, um, a wiser smarter, more caring person when I go home to my family than I did when I was there in the morning. Fantastic. It's it's so interesting to hear that. And and Jesse, what's what's a perfect work day for you? I love to start my morning with my make time. And it's my make time. It's the time I'm I'm the sharpest in the morning. So I spend that doing the things that I need to do that help me be creative, help me feel like I'm good at my craft. And my afternoons are filled with all the things Ephraim said. So the collaboration, the creative tension, the the interactions with others, the accomplishments um, in the meetings and, and on projects and things like that, making headway. And, you know, at the end of a perfect day, I've had a moment to reflect and I've given myself that time to reflect on what I've learned and how I've grown. And I, I absolutely believe that every perfect workday needs to have a good, solid laugh with a coworker or at yourself or on the way home with maybe a commute buddy. I commute on the ferry. So, you know, just you really got to have that every day because that's the human in us. And we need to kind of be able to laugh with other people, laugh at ourselves and just have a good time. Wow. Well, thank you both for those fantastic replies and thank you both so much. I mean, I found it really inspiring listening to both of you. You know, your stories, what you're giving to the work you do, what you bring to, of yourselves to the work you do. It's, it's, it's really given me some real insight, particularly some of these things that you said about what it means for people in, in work that we might not think as offers as many opportunities as as the work that that you both enjoy and that that i enjoy and um i just feel thank you very much for that it's just really fantastic so thank you for um for your contributions jesse carry on all the fantastic work you're doing at adobe and and thank you so much ephraim for everything you've brought and uh, it's been great to have you both on the show thanks so much paul it's been a real pleasure thank you paul same to you 
You've been listening to Digital Workplace Impact with me, Paul Miller, investigating and exploring the ideas, practices and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. This was a Digital Workplace Group production, and this is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.